As it's Father's Day, today I've decided to facilitate a reflective exercise on that part of God which Jesus revealed to us as one of the most intimate. That part of God revealed when Jesus himself referred to God as Father and invited us to do the same. So here is how it's going to work today. It will be a silent exercise, and over the next few minutes, I will read out several times when, where Jesus referred to God as Father. I would like each of you to reflect on what Jesus is revealing in these moments about God, and more than that, I'd like you to identify what part in particular strikes nearest to your heart. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward, reward you. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. At that time, Jesus said, I, pray, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done to them by my Father in heaven. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. He went away a second time and prayed, My Father, it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it. May your will be done. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he said this, he breathed his heart. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.
not only is like my father, but like father of the universe, of him like providing for all of the world, but also just the certainty of his provision. That he cares even for the smallest, most insignificant creatures, how much more will he provide for me? You know, the bearer of his image, his son. Yeah, I like the one where he talked about um, rain falling on the righteous and the unrighteous. Uh, last last weekend, I had a soccer game, and the other team were very, just very rude and just really mean. And I remember thinking while I was playing, I said, "Surely these guys that are so mean." They're not going to win the game. <laughs> surely, surely the tables are turning. Um, but anyway, they ended up smashing us. Um, but um, yeah, those same people that you know would purposely want to come and hit us really hard and be father loves him. You know, mm. you know father loves him. I'm love them. <laughs>
Lord, we thank you that you chose to reveal yourself um, as a father, that you invite us into a level of intimacy um, and closeness, that you offer such provision and love. And um, yeah, Lord, on this Father's Day, as we reflect, on, as we reflect and celebrate and uh, engage with our own earthly fathers, Lord, um, we thank you for the ways that they reflect your fatherhood, the perfect fatherhood. And in the absence of, of fathers and those fathers before short, Lord, we thank you that you don't, that you fill those gaps and continue to love each one of us. Amen. Um, I'm now going to invite Jono to come up and share a little bit about his testimony. Um, I thought it was worthwhile for Jono to share what he thinks, partly because his experience in the church is reflective of the kind of experience that a lot of a lot, a lot of people have to not particularly young guys. I'll let him put in his own words. Um, but yeah. So I started going to church about four to five years ago. I got really involved in things like music and youth group and and uh, initially I, I enjoyed it. I, it was a good, good thing. And as time went on, I started to have questions uh, about the way things were run, why certain structures and traditions were in place, uh, why such a large part of church was centered around the sermon. It left me wondering what, we, what do we actually need in church? Is there a simple way of doing it? Some of my struggles with church, a couple of personal struggles I, I was and still am having in my journey with God. The hub felt like a place to explore some different ways of doing church. And it was and it has shown me that. Having a smaller group having a smaller group. Uh, the focus is not so much on, on on the sermon, but rather a community. It leaves room for the exploration of more of a more balanced teaching time. And even and even then it's more of a communal teaching and discussion. Um, however, over the last year or so, I have had more foundational struggles with God and about the Bible, and that has left the, both the hub and the church in general a really hard place to engage in. So I, have, I haven't been engaging much, only as much as I am capable of. So right now, I'm just trying to figure out what my place is in the church community. significant questions and a significant struggle um, and I think one that all of us can have and many people do, myself included uh, and some of those questions were a catalyst for the formation of the hub to wrestle with those things about where, where people fit when they don't feel like they fit and how can we adapt and what is a personal responsibility for a person to submit to a group and what is a corporate responsibility to submit to God and find ways for people who don't quite fit. Um, now I'm going to leave a bit of open mic just for announcements, um, as, as per normal with what we do here. Uh, and then after that I'll bring it back together and begin to guess and say I'm going to be sharing with us today in place of the sermon. Yeah, just a, just a big thank you to the guys that, yeah. like yesterday we had a big thank you to the guys. Uh, Colin and uh, Ken was here, Daryl was here, uh, Dave, Jarrett was here, Tiff was here, one of Tiff's friends, Candace was here, sister, sister. Uh, um, Peter was here, Ken was here, Daniel was here, I was here, John was here, uh, just, it was just lovely to see, and Laura came along and provided us with food, even though I said we don't need food, she came and uh, provided us with food and it was just a lovely day. We got a lot done. Um, the boys put all this up, which is fantastic. Um, so it was just a great day. We accomplished a lot, uh, but it was it was a lovely uh, community feeling. You know, we'd walk in here and I'd hear Dave say, "Just give, you know, just cut it to this length." Uh, a bird's whisker or no, a bee's whisker. And, uh, Darryl would say, "Hey, birds could have whiskers." Uh, Darryl would say, um, "Well, that wasn't a bumblebee, or I don't know." I keep calling a hard time, you know, talking about the doors, and it was just, you know, it was a bit, it was a sacrifice to come for the day, you know, for us. Um, and the, the families, you know, with our kids and 
um, you know, the older guys as well. So it was just great. So I just really want to uh, acknowledge them. I want to thank them, and I thought I'd share that. And it's just great. So if you join with me, I'd, I'd just like to pray for them. Yeah. So Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for for everyone that was involved yesterday to to lend a hand. We just pray for a special blessing over them, Lord Jesus. And today, I pray today that they may feel that they can draw closer to their own family, but you as, as their father, Lord. Um, I want to thank you, Lord, for what you're doing at St. Clair um, as our, our church continues to move in, in the right direction, in your direction. Um, and yesterday um, was a sign of that. I, I believe that it was a sign uh, that we are moving in the right direction. Um, and I just want to pray. Um, so I just acknowledge the guys that were here and the women that were here. Bless them. And yeah, just be with us this morning. In your name, Amen. Last minute announcements. Um, now is probably a good time to go if they would like to go crazy. <laughs> Yes, come on. Um, for those of you who didn't get a chance to stand up just with kids, if you wanted to, no pressure, if you wanted to stand up and shake your arms and legs about and get the blood flowing just before we begin this section, it might be a good idea. <laughs> it's going to be intense and you want to be physically prepared for it. Jess loves lots of physical exercises. I'm nervous, man. Um, I might just pray for Jess and for Jane too, just as we begin. Um, Lord, we just lift up Jess and Jane as they share their insight and a bit of their exploration um, into how you formed your church in the Bible. I pray, Lord, that those things that are of you would come through quickly, um, that they would sit in the hearts of this congregation uh, and would motivate change and assessment and thought. Um, yeah, I just pray that you give Jess and Jane confidence knowing that your spirit works within them. Amen. So one of the first topics that we looked at during the Home Health Pilot was looking at church through a biblical perspective. Um, so it was a, it's a big topic um, that we tried to find condense a little bit. Um, and then to also see church as part of God's big plan. Um, and to steal the line from the Bible Project, um, we believe that the Bible is one unified story that leads to Jesus. So when wanting to look at the biblical perspective of church, felt like it was appropriate to look at church through the whole story of the Bible. God's big plan. On page three of the Bible, we see God has a plan. Adam and Eve are given the opportunity to represent God's image, to rule and oversee his creation, and to do so trusting in his abundance and his wisdom. However, as we know, they try to seize abundance and life on their own terms and own wisdom. But in doing this, they do not receive an abundance of life. They experience death. They are not blessed, but are cursed. This is where we get a glimpse of God's plan. God curses the creature that deceives Adam and Eve, saying one day a human will come to destroy it. From Genesis 3.15 and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. This is the divine master plan for the whole creation. But how does this come about? A bit later in Genesis, God calls out Abraham and Sarah as his representatives. He sets his family apart, asks them to live under his wisdom, and for them to trust in him. Genesis 12, 2-3 I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God's blessing on Abraham and his family is for a larger purpose. Through them, God's blessing can go out to all of the nations. Those who know Abraham's story know that Abraham did not always trust God, 
and there were times when he failed to believe God's promise. But ultimately, Abraham does trust God, and through him we see the nation of Israel born. We then see, see Israel grow and become enslaved by the Pharaoh of Egypt. So God calls out Moses and asks him if he would be a representative of God. God invites Moses to be a part of his plan in rescuing the Israelites from Egypt. Again, we see the nature of the human heart to lean on our own wisdom and understanding as Moses begs God to send someone else. But thank God that he is not proud, that he is compassionate and slow to anger. And God sends with Moses his brother Aaron to rescue the Israelites and to lead them out of slavery. Moses then brings them to Mount Sinai, where God invites the nation of Israel to be his representatives. As part of this, God gives them a way of living, a set of laws that will set Israel apart from other nations and that will teach them about justice and how to live rightly. God will bless Israel so that they can be a blessing to all the nations, but they must trust and live by God's wisdom. This family has been set apart, called out and called together as a way to represent God to all nations. However, again, we see in this story that Israel do not do a good job at living under God's wisdom. Instead, we read many stories of deception, violence, and grabs for power. And Israel are eventually exiled from their land and enslaved to foreign nations. But Israel's prophets, who lived through all this, still trusted in God's promise to Abraham, and they anticipated the coming of an Israelite, the suffering servant, one who would take up God's throne and bring about peace. Jesus, God with us and God who saves. But the way in which he saves is unexpected. Instead of overthrowing the Roman Empire and taking his throne by swinging a sword, Jesus tells his followers to serve and care for the poor. He says that to live under God's reign is to respond to evil with loving your enemies, forgiving and seeking peace. Not only was Jesus announcing God's kingdom, he was and still is the king. But instead of a throne, Jesus is exalted up onto a cross and is given a crown of thorns. Jesus fully trusted and lived under God's wisdom, even unto death. Isaiah 53, 1-5 Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. Jesus conquered sin and death and his life and love, with his life and love, and has made a way for all to be part of his family. We see through this story that God uses his people to bring about his plan. And he invites his family to trust in his wisdom and to represent him to reflect his blessing and love to others. And that's where I think that's us. That's the church. We are his people. We are his family. Because of Jesus, God is reconciling all things to himself. And so now we have the invitation to trust God's wisdom in our life and to live under his rule and to represent him. An article that uh, me and Jane kind of went through as part of prep, like prepping this um, was by Howard A. Snyder. I just want to... Um, read out just a bit of what he says about that. The church is the people of God, which God has been forming 
and through which he has been acting down through history. In this sense, the church has roots that go back into the Old Testament, back even to the fall. Its mission stretches forward into all remaining history and into eternity. The church is the body given to Christ, the conquering Saviour. God has chosen to place the church with Christ, the very centre of his plan to reconcile the world to himself. Ephesians 1, 18-23 I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule, authority, power and dominion, and in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So looking at this, this story that we see in the Bible, I think that then, therefore, the church's mission is to continue that, to continue in, in, being, in living out God's plan for the world and reconciling the world to himself, to glorify God, to trust in his wisdom, to continue in the world the works of his kingdom. sweeping overview. It's a lot to kind of um, remember, I guess, to take in. Um, I'm just doing a quick recap. Can you shout out what's God's big plan from that? I think Jess mentioned quite a few different things, so it's not really one particular right answer. Does anyone get that? What is God's big plan? That we're people reconcile us to him. Yeah, people to him. What else? What, what else is he reconciling to him? All of creation. Yeah, all of creation. And can you remember some of the key points in that timeline, just to shout out key characters or key events that happened that Jess just mentioned? Mm-hmm. Well, not mentioned, there's lots that you mentioned. <laughs> Adam and Eve. Yep, so Adam and Eve, we have the... Sorry, oh yeah, just we have the beginning of that story, I guess, of God's big plan. I mean, God obviously existed before that, and his plans were in his line, the Bible says, before the beginning of time. So I think it's important for us to wrestle with the idea that that wasn't a mistake that happened that he's trying to fix, but that that is a very key event in the biblical story, that we get a picture into the mystery of what he's trying to do. And it's kind of the beginning of our historical timeline as well in the Bible. And there's kind of two parallel things happening back then as well, that we've got this kind of um, beginning of a relationship with people and beginning of an invitation into his family at that point, I guess, but we've also got this kind of event happening in the background of the snake that Jess mentioned in the fall, where there's this cosmic spiritual story, which we haven't really got time to go into, but is also worth thinking about, and, um, and, and we kind of are intersecting with that all of the time, this, both this historical timeline and picture of God's big plan and story, as well as this spiritual battle that's going on, and I think... Um, the Bible talks about that as being the kingdom of the air, the kingdom of this counterfeit kingdom that Satan, the adversary, who is just anti everything that God says, he is doing this thing in the world. So part of God's plan is this picture of trying to um, combat that. There's a battle, I guess. And then part of it is this historical timeline that Jess has kind of talked to us about as well. Um, where we get to see what that looks like in people as God starts to reveal himself. So that was my little tangent. After Adam and Eve, what was the next kind of main thing Jess talked about or what people that you remember in that? Abraham. Yep, Abraham, start of a little individual relationship, a father relationship, a covenant relationship, where no matter what we do, God is um, there and he's continuing to reveal himself through one man, through a family. He makes this promise that grows and that we get invited to be part of. Moses. Moses. 
Israelites out of Egypt. Yep, and it becomes this whole nation, doesn't it? It's not just one family, it broadens again. Moses sees God face to face. All of Israel is invited to see God face to face, and they actually say, No, it's too scary, we'd rather go through you, Moses. Um, but if that starts to expand, doesn't it? And we see again uh, lots of us failing in that. Um, next main player. Jesus. Yeah. And Jesus is obviously the center point and pinnacle of the Bible. And I think what is exciting, what's exciting, kind of thinking about the church is that then Jesus expands that promise in Abraham. He says he's, he crushes the snake's head. He actually gives us a way to have that spiritual battle to be able to live under God's power and authority in a new way that we couldn't do before that. Um, there's like a promise of a kingdom that will never end that God's bringing through the King David. Yeah, there's all these promises through the Bible that give pictures of what Jesus is going to bring, and one of those is a kingdom, one is a suffering servant, lots of other things. Um, and yeah, another really significant thing that comes with Jesus is that he opens up that Abrahamic promise that we are going to have a relationship with God, that he will bless us, that he will make us a great people, and that he will bless the whole world through through that family, through us. That is open to us through Jesus, and he brings this fulfillment of us as the church, um, being this expansion of that as well. Um, any other words you can discuss with me? But yeah, we just wanted to take a little bit of time. Obviously, you can really scratch the surface, but to start, to just do a sweeping overview, I guess, because I think it is impossible to understand what the Bible means by church without taking the time to just remember what is God actually doing. And um, yeah, so that was that was our kind of plan with that, hopefully. Um, Okay, and then I want to spend the rest of the time that we have just unpacking a little bit of what is the church in the Bible, what does that mean? So, um, can people tell me, this is um, I just want you to tell me either from stuff that's considered from that or just your own knowledge of the Bible, what are some pictures that the Bible gives us of the church, some metaphors, some analogies? The bride. A bride? Yep, do not But I guess disciples is a picture that we don't really have in our traditional kind of world, but it was kind of referring to this like apprenticeship kind of model that existed in their culture um, as followers of Jesus. So Jesus asks us to go out and be disciples. Yeah. Right? So that's yeah. how he's going to extend the kingdom. That's right. That's his great commission when he leaves, isn't yeah. it? And there's nothing to say, God, make, make disciples of all nations. Yes. Yeah. And teach them everything about fellowship of believers. Salt and light. Fire and branches. A holy nation. Or, yeah. you know, holy people. I suppose holy part because we have his spirit. Yep. So we'll be like yeah, him. Many, many in terms of God's holiness, not we're full of holes. <laughs> <laughs> she? 
sheep. Yep. There's, I've got here flock of God, which is the, yeah. The, there might be also a thing of like gathering um, those little chickens under his wings. It's kind of these pictures of baby animals. Uh, spirit-filled believers. Yeah. yeah. About a new garden. I remember that one. What is that? What well, that's <laughs> the Garden of Eden becomes oh, a new yeah. garden. Um, and then you yeah, there is a lot of imagery about the points. But even the temple, I think a lot of the way they designed a temple was around pointing back to the Garden of Eden. Garden? The city of God? Yeah, and then there's a new temple as well. Of course, in the Acts 
the book of Acts, it's really the Acts of the Holy Spirit in beginning the church and building it. So I feel like that's kind of like now for us, yeah. the Holy Spirit, it's up to now. So I would perhaps like, not after Jesus, but it's like with. Yeah, yeah, that's and right. I just thought that, yeah, yes, that and the that's Bible really, focuses on that. That's right, yeah, and you've definitely picked up the next key part in the historical timeline that we didn't, we haven't got to yet. But I think, that, as in, no, yeah, it's great. Oh. So I want you to just spend two minutes with the person next to you. If it's not um, even numbers, maybe grab a three, um, and just come up with your own quick version of what is the church according to the Fifth Bible. One sentence, or if you can. Alright guys, can you get you to wrap it there? It's fine. We're not going to probably get an absolutely comprehensive definition of this exercise, but I just want you to get you thinking. Can anyone shout out to me um, what definitions they came up with? focus and that we all acknowledge God as the head of the house and our God and we are we our purpose is to worship him. Mm. I think actually the picture of, I don't know if you read up there I can't see that that me and Jess talked about was a household that is used in the church as well. Um. <coughs> I was discussing with my um, we weren't discussing you would do it. So I finally got a word in. Sorry. I like the idea of worship. So we gather to worship. The reason Paul is that he grew up with it. He never knows. I don't think he ever recognised it, but he's ever been not part of the church. That's true. I'm an adopted. So yeah. I, I'm one of those street kids who <coughs> adopted yeah. and a bit rough around here. So. But I think that picture is beautiful. Mm-hmm. There is a family of God. He's the Father. Mm-hmm. But He's using His people to adopt. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Those are the way that it's all. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the adopted children can fit into a family yeah. and feel part of it and feel loved. <laughs> and these four, the Bible has so much imagery around that and yeah. about being full heirs, they love that, that promise and all the benefits. So, John and I were talking, uh, like, when you look at the words and you think about like how the Bible, is, I'm sorry, how the Bible shows the church, there is a physical, tangible event, you know, a relationship. 
but then there is also just a space where like that enables the spirit to move. So we kind of summed up summed up into four words, and it was like intentional, authentic, but also fluid and flexible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. That kind of, yeah. yeah, that's great. Thanks, guys. Um, maybe you could talk about more as we go on. I think this is going to be a big picture question. But I think the church camp coming up and. Um, this is just the first week of four where we're going to look at, next week we're going to look at the church through history, then we're going to look at the church now, kind of across the world and locally, and then we're going to do a week with Daryl um, on envisioning what could the church be, which will be a bit more um, relevant to us locally. So um, and obviously this is really just a starting point, so keep talking about this stuff. Um, I wanted to just mention a few things. If you want to think about this more, I'd really recommend that article just mentioned um, by Howard Snyder, which is titled... God's, I wrote it down somewhere, I can show it to you, something about God's plan in the church or something like that. Yeah, I'll try and find an electronic copy. I've just got the book here, but um, it's an old Bible college book from Daryl's Bible college days. Um, But yeah, I'll try and get that up there. Um, But three of the Greek words he uses in his analysis of the church, and this is to do with Acts, this is to do with the New Testament concepts of the church, um, that I just wanted to mention. Uh, the one that is most commonly used to refer to the church is the ecclesia, which um, was about the, the way that that's kind of defined. This is what Jess mentioned before about this kind of idea of the called out and called together people of God. I think it actually did have pagan roots as kind of being the people who are the administration of a, a society, say Rome, those kinds of things. Um, and it was about how do we be this new body of people and so often it's used as a gathering of believers um, but there's definitely this sense of being called out and called together in, and it is often used to do with the assembling of the, the body I guess um, and then there's another word which he uses which is the Greek word laos which is the word for people um, which and those kind of those concepts that we've talked about here of the, the church being a people the church started with Abraham and grew into Israel and there's so much in the New Testament and in Acts about it and um, then the promise being for the Gentiles and being for all the adopted sons and um, and God says like he is building um, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that it is not just referring to this gathering together but it's referring to all of the individuals and the family organic connections that that happens and I think that kind of concept is really important when you think about the church kind of scattered across the world. There was lots of times where the nation of Israel was in slavery or in exile, or particularly the Jewish people have been under incredible persecution over, like there's not been this happy picture all the time of um, God doing amazing things that you'd be able to see, but a lot of what God has done through history has been through isolation, people being in prison, in solitary confinement, like um, there's this kind of, and, and in, through our individual giftings and heart and the way we've been made up to as individuals, kind of a thing, somebody who's been significant in the Cornerstone journey, Gil Cam talks about the church as being, the, correct, I forget this quite wrong, Dad, but like um, everything that every member of the church does over every minute of every day, of every hour, of every week, of every year, of all time, that like there's this concept of that being the church as well. Did I get that mostly okay? <laughs> um, and the other Greek word that he talks about is one called koinonia, which is about the community, the community of the Holy Spirit, and that's what's kind of depicted kind of mostly out of Pentecost, um, and where you see the Holy Spirit come and Jesus' Spirit come, and you see those kind of phrases and stories in Acts of people sharing everything in common, and also the mess that comes out of that and this idea um, that community is a really important part of how God uses his church. Um, and what does it, you know, People, I think I've forgotten which verse it is, but it says that like, people will know that you're Christians because of the love that you have for each other. And that is like a family. That is like when we screw stuff up and we hurt each other, that we stick by each other or that you keep opening your doors or that you keep working it out or that you have a fight and you keep talking to each other or all of that mess that you do really see in Acts as you read it through, that God worked through that. Um, and that's a key part of how he wants to use us as well. Um, and so I think... Yeah, just looking at that, that's sort of a food for thought, I guess, is there's this real kind of, um, not necessarily a tension, but a, there are two parts to the church of this being this individual expression that is to do with our individual personhood, our individual footprint in St. Clair, <coughs> individual footprint in Australia. Like, um, But there's also this sense of the church being one and unity and a body and a family. 
Um, and I think that's something we just have to wrestle with. What does that look like to be called out together as God's people? Um, and I think we need to keep asking those questions. It's really hard in this kind of context, I think, where our lives are so individualistic and scattered across so many different domains and time spaces of what does that look like for us to do this together in unity with each other, in like following God and Christ as our head of that body. How do we do that? <laughs> like, um, so I wanted to finish with another quote from Howard Snyder. He's featuring um, heavily. This is the final section of his essay. Was trying to his last words before he leads you on his picture of what the church is. He says, It is critically important, especially in a worldwide multicultural situation such as the church faces today, to be clear that the essence of the church is people, not organisation. That it is a community, not an institution. The great divide in contemporary thinking about the church is located precisely here. Biblically, the church is the community of God's people, and this is a spiritual reality which is valid in every culture. But all ecclesiastical institutions, whether seminaries, Bible colleges, denominational structures, mission boards, publishing houses, or what have you, are not the church. Rather, they are supportive institutions created to serve the church in its life and mission. They are culturally bound and can be sociologically understood and evaluated but they are not themselves the church. And when such institutions are confused with the church or seen as part of its essence, all kinds of unfortunate misunderstandings result. And the church is bound to a particular present cultural expression. The church is the body of Christ, the community of the Holy Spirit, the people of God. It is the community of the King and the agent in this world of God's plan for the reconciliation of all things. God's agent of the kingdom must not be considered just one means among any. For from the cross to eternity, it remains true that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish. Thank you, Jesus, that you promised to build your church and the gates of hell would not stand against us. Thank you that you see us as integral to your plan, that you love us enough to cross the bounds of time and space and invite us into your family and continue to give yourself up for us. Please reveal to us what you are doing in this time and chapter of your mission. Help us to be faithful and continue to be your people. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Um, we've finished quarter past 11 now, somewhat early. Um, we understand it's Father's Day. If you've got things to do and places to see and people to visit, that's all good. Um, but if you have the time, we'll run a little bit short. If you have the time, um, engage in these questions. Talk to one another. See what the body's doing. Um, encourage one another. Listen to one another. Um, so, yeah, if you can, I encourage you to stay and mingle and talk. If you've got to rush off, that's okay. Um, we have some morning tea up there. Um, yeah, thank you guys for participating um, with us. Yeah.